Welcome back to What's Your Favorite Scary Movie. I'm Verona. I'm Sarah. And today we're going to be talking about Five Cream or Scream 5. Or they just titled it Scream 2022, but that doesn't work for me. It's Five Cream. It is. It is Five Cream. I'm very excited. This is one of my favorites. And it's very shocking to say that because... I don't know. That's just like crazy. I didn't think that this one was going to be that far up for me. But every time I rewatch it, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it is very solidly like in my top three. And that's crazy. But it has just like has Jenna Ortega. It has Wes Hicks, my baby boy. It has Amber Freeman. When I first saw this and then came out of the theater at the end of the movie, I was like so fired up as one always is after seeing a Scream movie. And I texted you and I was like, I think that's going to be like your favorite or at least one of your favorites. And I was like, and I think it's one of my favorites. And I was so fired up. Anyway, I did my ranking last night. It's my least favorite. Crazy. I can't wait to do our rankings. No, I I can't remember if it was pre-diagnosis or post-diagnosis <laughs> because I was going through a lot last year where I was just like, eh, I might be able to go see it in a theater. No, it was pre. Was it? Yeah, I remember you were about to go like, and I had just happened to have seen it before you were planning on going, which is again, pretty rare. I'm usually not the one yeah. who sees the movie first. I'm usually the one that you have to wait on, but... <laughs> I think I saw it at one of those like dine-in theaters. Yeah, it was before because I remember like literally not eating like anything and being like, well, don't know what that's about. Anyways, Five Cream. Banger, banger fucking song at the end. Um, Fall Out of Love by Salem. It made me discover the band Salem and now I'm obsessed with them. I was just listening to them Love this them. morning while I was driving. Shankbank? And last night. Yeah, I was on the Shankbank playlist. You know, I put like four of their songs on there. Um, I think the connection that you have to four is what I have to five. And that's why it's so like special. It came to you at a very important time. That it did. Because I saw it once pre-diagnosis and then I saw it again post-diagnosis. And my dad and I had the theater like to ourselves, like no one was in there. It was so good. And we just got to like talk out loud the whole time. And it was so fun. Let's get into it. Well, we're now two days out from Scream 6. Screevy. Which is very exciting. I've got a quite the weekend packed here because I'm not going to the Thursday preview of TV. I have plans for that evening, but then I was like, we'll go on the Friday like matinee. And then I realized then there's the Oscars. It's Sunday, yeah. I'm just like, my weekend, she's packed. And then we have Babylon on Saturday. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I know. Um, so packed weekend, but I'm very excited for Scream 6. And as we were talking last night when our Scream 5 watch, I was like, oh, I'm so curious how 6 is going to fall in my ranking for me. Because it was hard enough to do just these five. So I'm like with a new one. Like that's, it's probably going to take me at least two watches before I'm like, okay, I know I can put it wherever. Oh, I'm such a, like an intuitive gut feeling ranker of movies. <laughs> I'm going to see the first 20 minutes and I'm going to already be moving it up and down in my head as I'm like getting into it. No, same. But I just mean like the first, sometimes it's the initial watch where I'm like, this is so fucking good. And then I put it really high and then I watch it again. And I'm like, you know what? I was a little ambitious there. I was just excited because it was a new Scream movie. Let's let's put it down. The critics, like everyone is like talking really highly of it. So I yeah. have a feeling it's going to be so good. All right. Scream 5. 5 Cream. 5 Cream. The opening with Jenna Ortega. Fucking amazing. I knew she wasn't going to die. I had already told everyone. I was like, she's the girl in the hospital in the trailer. I just know it. But everyone was like, no, like she's the big star. She's going to get like killed off first to like attract everyone. And I was like, no, no, no. I know what they're doing. Everyone calm down. I know it. And I was right. <laughs> I didn't think that they were trying to trick us necessarily by having her in the beginning. But I did instinctually think like, oh, but she has to die at some point then because she's in the beginning. So I think to rewatch it and to realize that they broke out of their own mold there was really cool because I noticed that when we were rewatching last night, I was like, wait, this doesn't usually work like this. It's kind of cool that they were like, we're opening on the final girl. There, and in that opening scene with her, um, my favorite part of it is the alarms turning on, like her scrambling to turn the alarms on every time they automatically go off. It was so like chilling and scary. And I feel like I've had that exact nightmare so many times. I've had so many home invasion nightmares where I'm like running around trying to make sure all the doors are locked and they're like automatically unlocking as I go and I'm like scrambling trying to like lock them all so all of the alarms continually disarming while she was like slamming the button was very good 
That makes me really wonder if Amber already had access to her alarms. Because you know how sometimes when you're like best friends with someone, you're like, oh yeah, here's like the key to my door and like all this other things. I'm wondering if she like had her like her logged into her alarm system on her phone. But then again, I feel like if they did, then like that would have been brought up. That is what made me, okay, the thing with the phones is what made me think that there was a third ghost face in it and it was Liv. Because the only person that doesn't get a call from Amber or Richie's phones, or or the only person that it says a different person's name is Liv, where it says maybe Liv. And so I was like, what if she was a third ghost face and Amber just kind of like decided to fucking kill her right then because she was getting out of control and she was about to give it all away. So Amber was like, you're not stealing my moment. Boom. I love Liv so much too. If they had used her any more than they had, she wouldn't have been as effective of a character. Absolutely. She needed to be like just here and there. I know they're trying to set it up to make her look a little shady and like where you're like, oh, she could be. I never thought she was. I always thought she was just like the very cute like girlfriend. Just she's like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I'm not like (laughs) gonna fuck around with it. You all can. I'll just be here. I knew that it wasn't her. Like I didn't know it wasn't her. I was like following along with the mystery trying to, you know, figure it out. But as soon as they all turned on her and every one of them was screaming at her while she was like crying, I was like, oh, it's not her. I just felt like they were constantly trying to make it her. Like when they're all the first scene where they're all sitting around the lunch tables and they're like, oh, we're going. Are you coming with? And she's like, no, I got to do something. I was like, it's not her. And then Mindy kept being like, you're too boring to be a killer anyways. And then just like kept being like, it's not you. I was like, Mindy's right. It's not her. Like whatever Mindy says (laughs) is probably going to be correct. Let me just. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because Randy, Kirby, Mindy, they're the big three. They are. They know everything. So we should listen to them. Mindy has some of the funniest line delivery in this movie too. Whenever she, like her being like just laid back, even when she's afraid is so funny. Like when she's sitting there talking to Liv and Liv's just like, oh, well now do you think it's me? And she's like, I mean, a little bit now, but. She's like not concerned for her safety. She's just kind of like eyeing her. She's like, mm. And then she goes back to literally just watching Snap, which is essentially Scream. I understand her. That's you. You are Mindy in this. I said last night, our friend group, you're Mindy, Amanda's Liv, I'm Amber, and Bewey is Tara. One of the lines in the opening, when they say Sydney's in every movie, but the last. Literally my next point. Shut up. That's so funny. Shut up. But like, okay, I don't think, obviously, Screevy isn't the last one because they already greenlit and ordered seven. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if they are going to genuinely deviate from Sydney entirely, which I wouldn't be mad about. I know a lot of people are. I kind of wouldn't be mad about it because I kind of like Sydney's chapter being closed in a happy way. And I know that if they keep trying to bring her back, it is just going to be in a very, they're going to try to kill her, probably. That's the only way that it can go. I don't think. And it would just be such a letdown. It would be such a cop out. It would be literally everything that this franchise is against. I don't think Nev would do that, honestly. But yeah, I just thought that line was really interesting. So I mentioned something a little bit later, not like later, later, but I did mention something a little further into the movie. The ghost face on the phone in the beginning is like really cool and says some like really taunting, crazy stuff. I liked that he was like mockingly encouraging her when they were playing the game. That was really like twisted. What I had said later in the movie was that you can you can really quickly start telling who's on the phone if it's Richie or if it's um, Amber because Richie says the most like cornball loser shit and Amber Amber says like the most bone chilling like slay <laughs> stuff you've ever heard. You could also kind of tell um, the difference in the voice. Once again, I know it's all done by Roger L. Jackson. I think he does mm-hmm. the voice like for Ghostface entirely. But when Amber is talking, it's very different. Like when she, in the hospital scene, when she says like it's an honor, it's like very deep and like sexy. Every time she speaks, it's like that same like very like I don't know what this means, but like this is <laughs> the hand gesture. It's like exactly- she's coming out of her chest she speaks like very coarsely yeah yeah it's like deeper and like scarier and more chilling every time she speaks and i'm like which even in her deadpan like when she's talking completely normally like in person not as ghostface she does have this kind of like little monotone draw like to how she speaks whereas richie speaks really he's more like animated like his voice like bounces around so you can definitely like hear that when it comes out in their in their ghostface voices jack quaid is incredible i don't ever give him enough i'm always shitting on richie so i don't give him enough credit for how great 
great Jack Quaid is like as an actor, especially in this movie. I'm a big fan of him in The Boys. He plays this scary so well. His switch from being animated, bouncy, happy to animated, enthusiastic psycho is very good. Like it doesn't feel one note, but it also doesn't feel like a switch is flipped and that he's two different people. It's very- Flows. It does. It, fl the, it flows together really well. I'm, I was trying to find the word. It's not copacetic. It's- That's a big word for Elmo. It's very cohesive. The two sides of Ooh. his character. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I really hate him as a ghost face. Like, I love his character. He's nowhere near even my, like, top five, but... Yeah, he's my, he's my least favorite, which is crazy. He, I think, would have worked better as not a ghost face. Like, just as, like, he unfortunately got into this, like, predicament because, you know, he wants to be there for his girlfriend. I would have preferred if he had just been, like, the nice, happy confused guy the entire time. This is me. This is what I wish would have happened. And I said this to you last night. Tara and Amber ghost faced together, girlfriends. Richie says a line about Tara when he's talking to Sam. I think she like asks where she is or what happened to her or whatever. And he like points out how unimportant Tara is, at least to him in like the grand scheme of what they're doing there. And he refers to her. He's like, he says something like, oh, like she's basically our pin cushion. And I was like, that's so funny and so true because you guys just are like beating the shit out of her. Like. She got attacked so many times in that movie. She was stabbed so many times in that movie. And it's just so much funnier when you think about the fact that he wasn't lying. Like she really is unimportant in the grand scheme of what they're doing. She was really just bait. Like once was enough. I know. Once was enough. Once was enough to get Sam back there, but they just kept going after and her. And then the second attack in the hospital and then again at the party, like they were just ruthless. And then that's why it's so much funnier at the end when she like beats the shit out of Amber with her crutch because like after everything they put her through, all she has is the crutch to defend her. And she's just like, she's using it. That was such she a is. great rage kill. Yeah, we talked yesterday about Scream 4 and we were talking about how brutally um, Charlie killed Olivia. Like, he didn't need to stab her 800 times. She was probably dead after, like, the first two. That was Tara just beating Amber's ass with that crutch. I was like, I think you knocked her out, at least for a couple minutes. I think you got her. But no, she just beat the shit out of her. <laughs> like, I get it, but that's so funny. Like, get the weapon off of her and then kill her. Don't just keep beating her with a crutch. Take the gun. It was so funny. I'm like, if Amber had survived that movie, she would have, like, her hippocampus gone. She has goldfish memory now. You just did, like, permanent damage to that girl. <laughs> We forgot everything. Her and Tara could have gone happily ever after back to their little girlfriendism. It's, she just lives in, I was going to say Remember Sunday, which is a weird reference to make when I should have just said 50 first dates, but I was going to say she wakes up every day and like does not know what's going on. You know, Bowie hasn't seen 50 first dates, by the way. She just told me that the other day. So I told her we have to watch it. Did you know that I have not seen 50 first dates also? So why the fuck are you referencing it? What the fuck? Because is it's, wrong a, with you? I, I get like, okay, okay, okay. We're watching we're watching it tonight all three of us we'll add amanda too she has to join that's like asking someone like why are they referencing casablanca if they haven't seen it like it's because everybody knows what you're talking about he's looking at you kid there's also the easter egg right after that opening with oh my god first of all i love their friend group and i love them having the scene where they're sitting there having eating their grapes at the fountain great talking about the murders um and i love that little easter egg of drew barrymore's voice i love how many easter eggs there are like that in this movie like it's so good i think that one's like my second i know it's so funny i was gonna say i think that's my second favorite easter I learned the Drew Barrymore voice one from like the first time I heard that and realized that was because of Dead Meat. And Dead Meat is actually my favorite Easter egg in the, the movie is them having their little uh, yeah. evil, toxic YouTube channel. So my favorite is probably um, Matthew Lillard coming back for the, the ghost face and stab eight saying that shit is lit with like the flamethrower <laughs> or at the end, the four West part where like it's Adam Brody, Hayden Panettiere, Matthew Lillard, like a couple other people. They all say four West at the same time. Very cute. Because I know we're gonna talk about Westmore, so I won't get like too much into it. But what a um what a monumental ask for Dylan Minette. I would be so nervous. I'd be like, that is so much pressure on me for me to be the character that you're like making a tribute to him. I would be so nervous. Um, but he kills it. He's my favorite character in the movie. So into. Now I understand Judy Hicks even more. I'm like, yeah, okay. I like you now. 
Yeah, I love Judy Hicks because of Wes. You gave us Wes, and you're also a lesbian in my mind, so works out. We talked about this, like, not even on the podcast, like, in general, um, how people can't, like, criticize any woman for doing anything wrong without them becoming total fucking misogynist. And I don't mean that in the way where people say, oh, so if I criticize a woman, I'm a misogynist. I mean, people, for some reason, just jump to misogyny when they're trying to like have a normal conversation. I do not like the way that people talk about Sam. I don't like the way that people talk about Melissa Barrera. I don't think that Sam was a particularly strong character in this movie. And I also don't, because of that, I wasn't that crazy about her performance. Even from just the clips like I've seen from Scream 6 and the trailers, I'm like, oh, she looks incredible. Like, I feel like, I don't know if it was just like the material or like what was not sticking the first time. It wasn't my favorite. There were these little lights in her performance to me that were so good. And one of them was um, her friction with Amber. I thought was really realistic and really cool. I thought that her like protective older sister thing confronting her like kid sister's ex-girlfriend was very cool. Like they were both trying to be protective of Tara and like Amber had that little hint of possessiveness and that little hint of like, well, you weren't even here for all this time. So like, how dare you have a good, strong relationship with your sister after like whatever it is. She just was so jealous and like overbearing and Sam just A, being the older one, having like the automatic one up in that situation, being like, well, what the fuck do you know? Like I'm an adult, I have a job. Like I like moved out of town you're a baby like holding her by the forehead to like keep her back she was just kind of very like edgy with amber and then it just i don't know it it was uh it was very realistic to me and it was a really like it really enriched all of their scenes together so i really liked that part especially that scene in the hospital specifically the first scene where you see them together i think she was trying to do something like a very emotionless like stoic kind of way about her like a hardened shell over her um which would make a lot of sense from everything she's been through. But that's also why I'm like kind of almost not even blaming her as much because a lot of those other actors and those other characters, they got the like benefit of being able to take these characters that are a little more one dimensional because they're like, you know, secondary characters. They get to be a little bit more one dimensional on paper and then add in the dynamic layers through like subtleties. Whereas it was her job to have all of the dynamic layers like, and they all had to have equal screen time and like equal amount of focus on them which is just a bigger task than getting to like put in subtext and stuff and the problem with it then coming onto her to like try to elevate it is that again she's the main character she has all this screen time um you know if Wes says something corny Dylan Minnette gets to like deadpan the line and then he's killed 10 seconds later like you don't really you know what I mean you kind of get a little more allowance and a little more forgiveness versus her having to like say the corny line and the camera just like stays trained on her face and she has to like make it seem not not as bad there's a line near the end that I hate that I I always complain about but same I fucking hate that I hate that line and then it's followed up by such a good line too and I'm like why didn't you just why did you give her two last words why didn't you just stick with that like really good one like it was good exactly exactly it was a necessary I think she needed a minute to settle in I think this is so different from everything else that she's done like and like you said about Sydney being the main character and her having to follow up those are big shoes to fill already and additionally it's not like Sydney just wasn't there and like she had to fill those shoes she had to fill those shoes while the person that she was taking over for was there like like demoted to secondary so that's like not I, that's not I wouldn't wish that on anyone I know I couldn't do it so it's just I have so many notes here that are just repeating Wes is my son I love the blonde hair I said this last night I almost wish she had the blue hair but I'm also happy that it was the blonde. I love him. It's also very crazy to be like, we're going to dedicate a character to like the creator of this franchise and then also kill him off. The most graphic on-screen one, I think, because it's the only one where you really see the effects of the knife besides just like stab, 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 blood, squirt. Mm -hmm. You know, this one you saw it go into the neck and stay there and then just like pull out. He fought till the very fucking end too. Like he really did. He was fighting. I also love the scene before his death when they're all at Mindy's and Chad's house. They're at the Meeks Martin house. I love the little shrine to Randy. That's so fucking cute. No, but I just love that where they're talking because I love in every Scream movie the discussion about horror movies and the modern state of horror movies and especially in this one because, you know, we see the little thing where they're talking about elevated horror and that is such a big theme in this. Um, And then this scene where they're talking about it and Amber's like, what's wrong with elevated horror? Like Jordan Peele fucking rules. And Mindy's like, yeah, that's beside the point. Stab isn't elevated horror. And I think they were kind of 
of poking fun at that with Amber's fire death. That is like a trope that they use in a lot of elevated horror and they mention it like in Hereditary. I think that was a nod to that and was like, hey, we can do a fire death too, but still in a scream way that isn't like too out of character. I'm stretching here, like very much reaching, but it's kind of a callback to three with Tom's fire death in Parker Posey's house where it just fucking explodes. It's funny that you mentioned that because I do associate fire deaths with elevated horror. I can't, now that I'm trying to think of examples, I obviously can't think of any except Hereditary and like maybe Pearl, but like Hereditary, Pearl, Midsummer, like all A24 and A24 is categorized as elevated horror. Yeah, as a general rule, that's what they're out there making. But I really love just that scene of all the friends just sitting around and Wes is like, wait guys, like my mom's a character in one of the movies. What if she dies? Like he's not even like, what if I die? He's like, what if she dies? And they're like, you guys are safe because you're in a sequel. And then it cuts immediately to like his death scene and their death scene. <laughs> like every time I know it's coming and I get so sad. I get sadder every time I rewatch Judy and Wes's deaths. It's so heartbreaking. And then I said something to you the other night and I made myself so upset because Wes and his mom are obviously very close. I mean, of course, like any mother would be distraught at the idea of their child being murdered. But she is like, we've never seen Judy acting the way that she is when she's in the car. Like she's hysterical like freaking out. She's like crying. She starts like trying to bargain with Ghostface. Like it's a whole thing. And then she dies right outside of their house. And then he doesn't know that she's dead on their like front walk. And then he gets killed like right in the front foyer of their house. And so I was like, I like that they didn't have to ever not have each other. And they also didn't have to know that the other one got hurt. They both just like blissfully unaware died thinking that the other one was fine. And I made myself so upset. I was like, I need to go now that I've said that. But then if you think about it, not so much for Judy, because Judy, you know, she dies thinking that she's running in to save him. So she, you know, in these last moments is probably thinking like, oh fuck, like now Ghostface is gonna go kill him. Or maybe she thought that she bought him time. It made me sad though. I was like, I'm so glad that they they just died without knowing the other one was dead. That made me. Yeah. Oh my God. That part is so sad because it's literally, she's so worried about her son that she doesn't even do like the normal like safety protocol or the safety check that she would do had was she running into any other ghost face or just any other police situation you know she would have like checked it out checked the perimeter because it's, it's not like ghost face was really hiding he was just like behind a little pole so had she really just like looked but it's because ugh, she that fear because she knew that he was gonna die and like she could save him and she was the only one that could save him because he was unaware it's so sad and i love the little fake outs throughout all of wes's death scene where like every time he like opens a door or like like a cabinet or something you think it's going to be there. It reminds me of Scream 1 with Sydney when she's getting ready to go to Tatum's house. Mm-hmm. Also, both of those deaths are Amber, I believe, um, because Richie's at the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's my girl. Amber really does the heavy lifting in this movie. He does, because I was looking at every single kill last night. I don't think he got even one. He obviously intended to get Tara and Sam, but Amber kept jumping in and <laughs> getting all of them. She got it. Um, she got Dewey as well as you pointed out that she also was the one who injured both Gail and Sydney with intent to kill them. So like if that yeah. had gone according to plan. And the big three. Yeah, she she intended to kill them with those injuries. She wasn't doing like an, an injury kind of like she was with Tara or whatever. She was she was shooting to kill with those guys. So she really would have taken out all of the big three and she would have been very pleased with herself, I'm sure. She's doing the heavy lifting. This is my last thing I'm going to say about Wes's death because I could ta- I could just do a whole episode just about Wes because he's my little meow meow. One of the things that really kills me is of course like everyone who gets murdered didn't deserve to get murdered. The situation surrounding his death makes me just need to like curl up in a ball and die. He is setting up the kitchen to have a little sushi date with his mom. And she's saying on the phone, it's so, it cuts back and forth like with her on the phone, like screaming and like him like just doing shit around the house, like taking his little shower, getting dressed, whatever. Um, She's like crying and she's like, no, he's a good kid. He would never hurt anyone. And it's him like cleaning and like putting out the plates for dinner and stuff. And I'm like, he is a good kid. I'm so sad. I'm crying because of that. He's just a baby. Oh, did you start crying? I'm really sorry. Yeah, I love him. <laughs> I teared up earlier when I was talking about him and his mom not knowing that the other one died, which made me feel better. Yeah, no, that's why I love this one so much is because literally everyone in the cast is dynamic and you love their characters so much. Um, It's not like, like for me personally, for Scream 4, the only one I really cared about was Kirby. This one, I care about that entire friend group so deeply. I'm like, none of them can die. And then two of them do. And I'm like, three of them do. Three of them do. I'm like, you can't. You can't take them from me. 
happening again, please. Like, I don't want any of them to die. And I understand it's a scream movie and some of them have to die and some of them have to be ghost face, but I don't want that. I want them to all be happy. When we first see Dewey as well, it's just like, and he's so gross and like depressed and he makes, he's like drinking and he goes and he sits down at his couch and he turns on Gail's show. And like, when they come to like visit and talk to him, when Sam and Richie come to like visit him and he's like, I'm, you can't have that much of my time. Like I'm going to miss my show. Show. And then he texts Gail and she's like, why did you text me instead of like even phoning me? And he's like, well, I knew you were on the air. And she was like, well, why would you know that? And I'm like, he's just like watching your show all the time. He misses you and he loves you. And then you get that bomb dropped because the way that he's like acting and the way he's talking and also just knowing their personalities and like what Gail is like, you're like, oh, this poor guy. And then you find out when Gail arrives that he broke up their relationship. It was his choice. Extra stab in the heart for him because she's thriving. Oh, that part hurts me so much because it's like one of those stories where like he believes that she can do so much better without him and that like he's holding her back and that like there's no room for him to thrive in a big city and that like that's for her to do on her own but like he'll always be there supporting her and it hurts him so much and I don't think it's one of those things where like oh he just like didn't have anything to do in New York no I think he just like really realized like she needs to she needs to do this and I'm holding her back or like in his brain that's what he thought because I don't ever think that he was holding her back but he was just like there really is nothing here for me and I don't want her to lose out on these opportunities because I there's nothing for me here so I'm gonna just leave and then she'll stay here and focus on her work and everything will be okay like he genuinely like thought that in his brain when really like he was good enough for her he also got absolutely well he didn't get fired he did get fired he got asked to step down, which is getting fired. Everything, yeah, everything in his entire life just went to absolute shit when he didn't have Gail anymore, which is deeply upsetting. And then he died horribly. So like just nothing after after Gail is gone, nothing worked out. I know. And the fact that their last conversation was the one that they had outside of Wes's house as they're fighting. So not only does he have to deal with the death of his friend, Judy, now he's like dealing with being confronted with Gail and like all of that. And then that's their last conversation conversation and he dies while she's trying to phone him that's the thing okay because I always think about that because Amber in the last moment when she's about to kill Gail is like I was the last thing Dewey saw that's not true the last thing he saw was Gail's picture on his phone if Gail hadn't called him in that moment I still think he would have died because everyone's like if Gail hadn't called like he would have been alive and I was like no 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 he still would have died he just would have died looking at Ghostface but this way he died looking at his favorite picture of him and Gail because it's the same picture he has on his mantle next to his sister's ass which is another layer of pain. I have feelings on both sides of it because I'm like, it is so upsetting that we lost a legacy character, that we lost Dewey because we really well and truly believed that these three, this trio was unstoppable. And I said that to you last night after when we see Gail's reaction because this happens to them every time. Every screen movie, it opens with them. They're fighting, but it's like flirty almost. And then they have a chance later in the end to reconcile everything and like come back together after they kill Ghostface. They didn't get that this time. They always think that they have that moment. What's that one trope that's like four plus one? The three times that blank almost happened and the one time it did. And the one time it did, that's exactly what this is. The four times that Dewey survived and the one time he didn't. So Gail was always just banking on like, we'll talk later. Like, we'll resolve this later. Like, after we deal with Ghostface, then we get to talk. So she wasn't like trying to fix that relationship in that moment. It was just that like, we see each other for the first time but like, okay, we're gonna have another time to do this. He had to die. No Knowing that, that that was the last time. I genuinely had this weird thought in my head where I was like, if a legacy character is going to die this movie, which signs pointing to yes, I thought it would be Gail. At first, I thought it would be Gail. And the reason I thought that was because I was like, they've got two girls <laughs> and they're not going to kill Sydney. And I was like, and I'm sure they'll keep Dewey, right? Like he's such a fan favorite. He's more of a fan favorite than Gail is. Again, such a tight race with like all three of them. I may, Maybe not as much with beginning to end with like Sydney and Gail, but in terms of like how close those votes come, it's very close close always. So I was like, well, it won't be Dewey. It'll be Gail because then there's still another girl. So we still get like our girl power <laughs> thing and we still get Dewey. But like, I'm obviously not like, yay, I'm so glad Dewey died. But I will say pleasantly surprised that they totally did what I just didn't expect at all in terms of who out of the three would die. See, I thought Dewey was gonna die. My dad especially did because he was like, he can't keep surviving these fucking movies. Like every time. He's like, I walk with a limp now. I have like permanent nerve damage. My legs like don't work. He's like, I've been stabbed 
stabbed more times than like, like he's like, I've been stabbed more times than people who died from being stabbed have. Yeah, because in every single Scream movie, in every single one, it's always like he gets injured specifically, like he puts himself like in between Ghostface and Gale and Sydney so that they can get away for a little bit so that them two can come back in the end and like kill him because that's usually what happens. Usually Dewey is like down almost immediately after like his first encounter with Ghostface. He's like one of those Pokemon that like have one move that will like kill everything on the field, but it also like knocks them out instantly. He's like, I can get almost killed one big time per movie to save everyone, but I can only do it once for per that. movie. So after that, like I'm out for the count. So choose wisely. That's exactly what this felt like. But I think he was almost resigned to it. I think this time he knew that like there was no more running. There was no more accidents. Like this was, this was going to be it. And that's why he was like, I'm going back for the head. And I was like, do it. You're not going to get it. And then he didn't. I was like, dude, you didn't even, aim- you, didn't, you didn't even do it. You didn't like do at least it. if you did it. Right? At least it was like a, at the same time but no do you know what i want to see what i'd like to see them kill one of the ghost faces like way before the other one and try and figure out who the other one is based on the one that they did find oh like do you know what i mean like what if they had killed amber do you think they would have figured out that it was richie no like do you know what i mean like seeing if they could figure out based on the one that already died like and coming up with motives and connections like and whatever i would like to see that that would have been funny because if amber died like i don't know if richie would have known what to do because she was doing everything so he probably just been like, if Richie had died, they would have been like, it's Sam. Yeah. So that's why, what I mean. I'm curious to see if they could figure out who the other one is based on who died. That would be really good, actually. I wonder if they're going to do that in this one. Because I feel like it's been too too long now where they've never revealed the ghost face early. And I think that'd be really smart and cool to do. Like kill one of them at the end of Act 2. Yeah. Or like in the middle of Act 2. So then you're spending the rest of the time like trying to figure it out. I think that'd be smart to do. If they also end up having like a cult of ghost faces, because then if there's multiple and instead of just two, then they'll still be fucked up. So on the opposite end of Dewey's death, my girl Amber Freeman is the only ghost face to get a legacy kill. I'm so proud of her and I'm sorry, but like as she's killing him, as she has two knives in him, one in the front, one in the back, and she's holding him and she's about to literally slit him. Just like in the first one, how they talk about like split from sternum to groin. That's what she was doing to Dewey. And then while she's doing that, she says, it's an honor. That is so chilling. She's so icky. Her brain is so icky. I love her. I love her. That is such a cool fucking thing to say as you are killing one of the legacy characters and you're doing it in the way that they killed Casey. Well, kind of. And like, she's strong as fuck. Like after watching her kill all these people, she is strong as fuck. Yeah. Because how do you do that to a grown man? And then you see when she's doing it to Wes when she's like you know has the knife coming at him he's fighting back and he's like almost winning he's pulling it off and then she does the final shove and like goes in so like she's strong she's also very stab happy but that's how we know she's the killer is because they call her stab happy and we see her with Judy really just she went in on Judy (laughs) she did she had personal grievances I like how when she's at the end as well this like the character's just so good I like how she also like I kind of said something similar about Jill and Jill's like not one of my favorite ghost faces necessarily but I like when they will remind you that regardless of any like psychopath tendencies or any like violent tendencies at the end of the day another scary weird thing about them is that they are bitchy teenage girls (laughs) she's such a manipulative little bitch like when she starts like crying as soon as they corner her is so funny because it's just like it's it's so realistic and it's so scary and like you you get like just chills from how manipulative she is and she does that too different times she starts crying and then she gets angry again and then when they corner her again she starts crying again and they're like why would we fall for that we didn't even fall for that the first time why would we fall for it a second time like she's using it against them that's another one of my favorite lines that she says in this at the end when she's like oh my god please i was radicalized and gail's like you killed my best friend and she snaps and she's like yeah and he died like a pussy this is this is the moment when sydney comes back and she sees gail just sitting in the waiting room and they see 
each other. I, I have one note from a little bit earlier. I guess it's like from when Gail's getting ready to like come back. Judy at that point was trying to keep the fact that it was a ghost face killing like on the DL. She didn't want the press to know. She didn't want people to know that what was happening was related to stab until, you know, details and whatever. So Gail didn't scoop that knowledge either. And she usually would. She'd usually be so on top of it. She'd be like the first to hear about anything, like ear to the ground. She'd be all over it. Um, but she doesn't hear anything about it until Dewey talks to her. At that point, like that to me means that she genuinely had put all of it behind her. And then at the end, when she kind of talks about how she's going to go back to writing, she feels inspired to write again. And she hasn't for a long time, but she's not going to write another, another Woodsboro murder. She's not going to do that. She's going to write something more positive. She's maybe going to have a character inspired by Dewey, whatever. Going to write about his life. Yeah. And I was like, that's cool. And if Dewey hadn't died, she probably never, ever would have, or if he at least hadn't like talked to her, she really would have been over it for the rest of her life, which I think is what he really wanted from her or for her rather. So he didn't, on top of him feeling awkward about texting her, I think he really like just, he didn't want to involve her not only for her own safety, but because she was doing so good without any knowledge that there was any more to talk about. Every time now, I just think of you saying, you know, we're never going to get another Dewey and Gale interaction after this. And I was like, oh, hey, okay. I like the interactions we got from them in this. Like I said in four, they're, they're more mature than they were in, you know, one to three. And even now it's, it's like a hard dynamic and it's not as a fun one, but it's certainly like a fucking joy to watch Courtney Cox and David Arquette act across from each other. But this dynamic is obviously so different from any of the other previous ones. And to know that we're not ever going to get any of those dynamics again is really, really upsetting. <laughs> and also like it, it ended on such a sad note. Like, do you know what I mean? We didn't, he didn't die in Scream 3 after they'd been like cute and flirty the whole time where you kind of like, you're like, oh, I'm sad that we don't get more of that. But like, I'm in a good mood, but no, I'm like just depressed and it's over. I know we get very limited Sydney and Gail interactions in this, but I love it every time. They love each other so much. You know, they've been through this so much. They've been through so much shit together over the last almost 30 years now, going from like hating each other to reluctantly teaming up because they have to fight to become becoming friends to becoming family to now they're just like you know they're like we've done this before we know what we're gonna do okay we got each other's backs like always oh my god there's this one moment in it every time I see it it always just like knocks the wind out of me it's after Amber stabs Sydney and Gail's like sitting in the kitchen like holding her fucking gunshot wound right after she stabs her she literally falls to the floor while staring at Sydney and like trying to make sure that she's alive it is so gut-wrenching also that that Sam comes in as being such a bitch to Sydney, who's just trying to help her <laughs> and Gail. <laughs> and it wasn't even like Sydney was, it was so weird. It wasn't like she accidentally hit a raw nerve. And that's why Sam like was so, cause you know, even when you're being super polite and calm and like non-confrontational, if you say something to someone and it hits them the wrong way, they're gonna like go crazy. But like she was saying like the most neutral statements, literally the most neutral statements. She was just like, hi. And she was like, my name's Sydney or whatever. She like introduces herself and she's like, I'm Billy Lewis's daughter. Do you have a problem with that? And Sydney's like, no. Anyway. <laughs> she That's like, what I was saying. She's trying to move the conversation forward. And Sam's so mad. She's like, I've been through this. I can help you. And she's like, no, we're good. We got this. We're going to run. And Sydney's like, yeah, I tried that. Uh, and it followed me twice. So listen. And not even like that mean. But And then she's still like, nope. <laughs> Fuck you. Leave us alone. And Sydney's like, okay, I tried. And then I just love Gail's little, you know how they always say it goes back to the original? This is the original. And it's funny. Like, I'm glad that you remember the line a little better than me because I, I don't. But it's funny because yeah Sydney doesn't even come up with like she's not coming at her with unsolicited advice like right out the gate she just politely says like hey are you okay like do you need any help and she's just like uh no we got it thanks I'm like to the nice woman who just asked if you're like okay that's who you saved all this fucking attitude for out of everyone that you've been talking to over the last few days this is who you decided to be rude to I'm confused and even Gail I can't remember who's who's talking shitty to Sydney but Gail's like oh my god like fucking cool it and I was like thank you Gail I love Gail. She's the no pickles girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, she's a no pickles. Like, she's ready. And I appreciate that about her. When they're at the party and someone tells Amber, like, oh, there's no more beer. And, you know, it's supposed to be, like, the Tatum scene. So she goes down to the basement to get more beer and Mindy follows her. And they just have, like, the gayest scene That scene time. is so charged. 
for no reason. And I like, I don't, I mean, I know that they're both playing sapphic women in this movie, but like, you know, everyone always is like, not every sapphic woman has to like, they don't have to be together or have chemistry just because they're both gay. It didn't give me any kind of concern about like, oh my God, what if like one of them is the killer and they kill the other one right now? I'm like, that's not gonna happen because these girls are just trying to hook up. This is just flirting. Like, and you were like, I'm surprised they didn't kiss the first time I saw this. Like even rewatching it, I'm like, okay, like waiting for it. And it doesn't happen. And it's surprising that it doesn't because I thought that was going to be I unironically thought that was going to be the next twist like that we were going to find out that they were hooking up and then like whatever you know what I mean because you know one of them's the ex of like one of the main girlies like I just thought that was going to be the big scandal but no it was just them being really fucking weird my brain their exes like their exes and Mindy's a little bitter that Amber moved on so quickly with Tara and is kind of like devoting her world to Tara when Mindy's like that's what I asked of you um and now they're having this little flirting moment where Mindy's like your girl girlfriend's down for the count right now so hey i got i didn't get the same vibe as you but i got a really similar vibe if you'd like to hear it yes absolutely not that amber and mindy are ex-girlfriends and the girl in question is not tara but i think they both dated the same girl i think they share an ex not Tara. Like, I think they share an ex and that's why they're so, that's what that chemistry between them is. <laughs> that makes sense too. We are, we are in the like third act at this point. Yeah, we are. Oh my God. That reveal, fucking amazing. Where she's like, Liv, just stop. And then Liv's like, but I'm not the killer. And she's like, I know. And she just shoots her. She pulled the gun out. She didn't even like quick draw. It wasn't like she yanked the gun out and shot her really fast. She did it just so smoothly that nobody had any time to react, which just made it so scary. And I liked how everyone scattered. Yeah. It was really realistic it was smart of people and it also was a really fun scene to watch it was fun to see ever how everyone broke off from each other and like wondering which one of them it was like other than amber one of these people that ran has to be the other ghost face except for tara tara didn't run she grabbed amber's arm as she was trying to shoot someone else so immediately in your brain you're like it's tara and then you're like no because she wouldn't have pulled her out of the way but then you're also like but uh and then richie gives us that little moment later where he's like there's always two killers could be your sister he looked at the way that Amber was standing over Tara's bed like by her monitor while everyone else was like at the end of the bed and he's like got it they're together that's why I'm like I would have preferred that especially with like the original script that we had because we've only seen a couple pages from it but like god them being girlfriends would have just added like it's stupid to me because like they didn't take out all of the subtext of them being girlfriends so I feel like they just took out like the explicit like them saying it so I'm like you guys really just left them gay as fuck still yeah I found your Texas you were like bro i don't think richie killed anyone in this entire movie but then your next literally text didn't. was we said this text at the same time we said like this is us in fandom where he's like screaming about like the fans that are so shitty and how like the writers of like it was just so funny i was like this is this is me if I didn't leave some of the fandoms that I left. Just standing there, like, ranting like I'm, a crazy person, waving a gun around, like, freaking out. We had more reason than they did to become killers over f- It owes me compensation. I love Sydney on the phone while she's running around looking for the other ghost face and she's talking to them and then she just goes, I'm bored. And then Ghostface is like, wait, and then she hangs up. Like <laughs> The line delivery from both of them is so funny. The timing and the delivery from- Especially because like, had that not happened, Richie would have still been on the phone in the closet with her when she shot him. So she would have known right then that it was him because that wasn't Amber on the phone. I know that that was definitely him. Meanwhile, she comes out of the closet right next to them. And the, like, listen, Amber is so fucking strong. Like she shoves Sydney over the railing and they both like hit hard as fuck on the floor. And then she just gets up and they like get back to it. And then she's like, hey, it's my favorite, favorite part of this movie though is Amber, while she's standing in front of Sydney, she has her little knife and she goes, and she does little psycho sounds. (laughs) That's my favorite part in a Scream movie. Honestly, yeah, I think the way that you feel about Kirby Reed might be how I feel about Amber Freeman, actually. And that, like, she had, like, nine lives because genuinely they had to kill her, like, four separate times before they were like, okay, she's dead and, like, she's staying dead. Like, they fucking beat her ass to death with crutches And then they burned her and then they shot her multiple times to make sure she was done. At this point, going into Scream 6, what's your definitive ranking of the five movies? In the number five spot, we have four. I love four. It's great. 
great movie. Like I said, the worst Scream movie will always be better to me than like pretty much any other horror movie. So she's down there, but I love her. Then we have two, which I thought was going to be higher, but also it usually was in my last place, but the last couple times that I've watched it, I've been like, oh, I really fuck with the Greek tragedy theme and like everything about this, but I like the other ones more, unfortunately. So it's in the number four spot. Number three spot is number three. Um, I love movies that are about movies, movies that are set on film sets, movies that are set in Hollywood. And I fucking love Parker Posey. So number three has to be number three. Number two, Five Cream. Uh, God, I really, really didn't think that this was going to be in top three, especially in the number two spot. But Jenna Ortega, Amber Freeman, Wes Hicks, like this, the entire cast of this, like I had to. It's so good. Also, the fucking soundtrack for this one, amazing. The Salem track is one of my favorite songs of all time. It was in my like top five, I think, most played songs of the year last year. And then they also have a Wallows track at the end for a little shout out to Dylan Minnette. And then in the first place, obviously, is number one because it all always goes back to the original and you don't fuck with the original. Stu Mocker forever. I just have a really controversial ranking of them. That's why I was- I know you do. Making a bit of a face. So my official ranking of the Scream movies, I know that yesterday I said that I think Scream 4 is my number one, but I put some more thought into it and I've decided that since it was in a tie with its number one, I actually made the other one, the official number one, because when you do a ranked list on Letterboxd, you can't make ties. And so I was like, I do know in my heart that my number one spot is tied, but for the sake of really trying to do it, I did it a different way. So in last place for me is Five Cream. <laughs> oh, Fallon has thoughts on that. She's going to get you for me. <laughs> um, Just sit there. Just don't yell at me and just sit there. I was whispering attack for <laughs> Fallon to get you. <laughs> Never. Um, so my last place is Scream 5. Again, one of them has to be last. And very interestingly, just like your... I know that we have a similar... I know our Ghostface rankings are super different. But I know we had a similar phenomenon happen where our movie rankings and our Ghostface rankings are not like they're not very cohesive so last place scream five in fourth place i have the original scream blasphemy everyone attack her i know (laughs) um it's like one of the best movies of all time and it's like so rewatchable and it's just like i love this movie i love rewatching it i rank it low because i have I have to rank the others so high because they're so special to me can't believe even two i love two crazy I do too, but God. In third place, I have Scream 2. And the more times that we've rewatched it, the more it's grown on me. It used to be my least favorite Scream movie. Same. Oh, Fallon has thoughts. But now it's in, in the third spot. And in second place, I have Scream 4, just because of my deep love of that movie on an emotional level. But I do just love it so much. So it gets a really high ranking for me. It's very much like the funniest, or at least the most intentionally funny. It's clear they were going for more of a comedy edge with it. And I'm a huge fan. And my number one favorite Scream movie of all time is Scream 3, for the exact same reasons that you like say that you love it i love anything set on a film set i love movies about movies so it is my favorite no yeah great ranking now do your ghost face all right so this is like very my least favorite ghost face is richie kirsch and honest to god i know you said he's really not your favorite or you didn't necessarily like him as the ghost face for this um i really did i really thought that jack quaid was a great ghost face um yeah. Someone has to be last. Yeah. Also, I want to clarify, I like Jack Quaid oh, a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. And the way he played it, I just didn't like his character being Ghostface. Right. I Yeah, I know. Yeah. And I this he's kind of tied for last place with Mrs. Loomis. And that is, for me, and that is because I get it. I get the motivation. It's logical. It all makes sense. Um, I just didn't care. It's just crazy that even over Mickey. She's tied with Mickey also. And the only reason why I like Mickey more than her is because I like, um, I was more impressed by the originality of it just being some guy because that is very much the real world. So after Mickey, because like I said, I did, the fact that it's just some guy, I'm like, that's cool though. Like I like that. I, I liked it even more than Mrs. Loomis, but I like them as a pair for that reason. Like she gets points for thinking to do something like that. And of course, like I said, it makes total sense, especially for a sequel for it to be like a revenge plot 
she's coming back to avenge her son. The whole thing makes total sense. It's a great story. It's just a story that I'm like more used to. So I prefer like the ones that are really kind of crazy and original and whatever. I also know that was the point. It wasn't supposed to be, it wasn't meant to be something so crazy. Like the Scream movies aren't. They're supposed to follow the pattern, right? Or like follow the theme of each movie. So totally makes sense to me, but I just was like, eh, okay. My next ghost face is Charlie Walker. I like the, I like um, the concept of him as a character. I, his motives were fine. I like that he brought that entitled rage to how he killed the girls in that film. There's just better ghost faces for me. Um, and then right after him is Jill Roberts. I like her a little better than I like Charlie. I think she's great. I think her and Charlie are good like mid-level ghost faces for me. I like the vibe, I like the motive, it's cool. And then next up, I have Billy Loomis. I That's the one I almost fucked up with Jill Roberts. I was like, um, but then I was like, no, he's obviously better than Jill Roberts. I just had to stop and think about Billy Loomis for a second. Um, after Billy Loomis, I have Amber Freeman. We love our girl Amber. She takes the number three spot for me. Following her, you fully converted me to a Stu Mocker girly. I used to be a Billy girl, and then I was like, I no, it's Stu. I like Stu. Um, so yeah. he's my second favorite ghost face. I look forward to watching him so much every time I watch Scream, even though Scream is my fourth favorite <laughs> Scream movie. Stop reminding me. Um, and my extremely controversial number one spot pick for my favorite ghost face of all time is Roman Bridger from Scream 3. This is the only consistency in my list where the number one movie and the number one ghost face match up. Wow, that's honestly crazy. Our list is pretty similar, actually. My top three matches exactly with my ranking of the of the three movies. It goes one, five, three. Um <laughs> <laughs> so my least favorite is Richie. I just think he didn't really bring anything to the table. He, I liked him as a character, but it's not like he added anything to Ghostface. Like if anything, he took away from Ghostface because like Amber was saying really cool shit and then you put him on the phone and he was just very much not. <laughs> and so it kind of took away from her being like so fucking badass. And then he didn't even kill anyone. Last place. And then... Second to that, it's Charlie. Even though I do believe he is the most brutal ghost face, besides Amber. I don't know. He just doesn't do anything for me. So second to last. And then it's Mickey. Just because I like his character a little bit more. Um, he's cool. Then Mrs. Loomis. I really like them as a duo. And I really like her motives alone. But again, these like these bottom four, I'm really just like, I, I don't have any strong opinions about you either way. Except for Richie. You didn't do shit. So, and then above Mrs. Loomis, we have Jill in my top five, which is really crazy. But also it's not when you look at like the other ghost face. I, once again, I love to, and I am a proud defender of their motives and all of just them as ghost face into, we know this, but they still, she still went above them for me. I just, she is the closest that anyone has ever got to getting away with it, so slay. And above her, we have Billy Loomis, which is crazy that he was knocked out of my top three, but you did that. You, you <laughs> did that. I love Billy. I love Billy so much. That's my boyfriend's boyfriend. You took Billy out of my top three also with Stu, so like we're even. Yeah. So then my number three is Roman, which is crazy. Like, I didn't think he was going to be in my top three. I didn't even think he was even going to be in like the top five. So this is crazy to me. I keep saying that, but like genuinely, this was shocking when I was doing my ranking. And then number two, Amber Freeman, my cinnamon apple. I love her. That's my baby. She can do no wrong. I love her so much. She's such an amazing ghost face. She's so crazy. She reminds me so much of Stu, which is why I like her so much, where she's just the very like larger than life crazy. And you're just like, oh, you're so fun. Unstable energy. Yes. And I love that in a woman. And then number one, of course, Stu Mocker. I love him so much. And I said this earlier last night when we were talking very briefly, I think it would have been better had they just had Amber be such an insane fangirl of the Stab movies that she believed genuinely once her parents bought Stu's house that she was actually Stu's daughter. And she just like snapped and like had a psychotic break and was like, I'm Stu's daughter. So I'm going to start killing people. You're Billy's daughter. That's not true. That's my ranking. That's your ranking. So this is very exciting um, because that will wrap up this week's episode. And next episode, next week, we will be covering Scream 6 
or Screevy. In the meantime, you can check out our link tree, which is WYFSM. That has links to all of our socials, including our Twitter, which is WYFSM Podcast, as well as our Instagram, WYFSM Pod. It also has links to every place that you can listen to our show, and we will see you guys next week.